We have had the most amazing weekend together. Uh, Father really does love every single one of you. And if you weren't able to be with us for either of the two other meetings we've had, I encourage you to go to the website and listen again to Andy and Ganilla's teaching. Because literally, I mean, I've, I've been in this revelation for what, 20 years, 24 years now. And still, God is doing deep things in my heart through these guys and their teaching. And he's going to do more for you this morning as well. So be expectant. Be in anticipation. God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do in me right now? I'm willing because I know you love me and I want to know it better. So let's welcome... Who's coming up? Andy coming? Okay. Let's welcome Andy and Ganilla. We're so glad to have you guys with us. And let's give them a quick big hand. Have fun. Yes. <laughs> well, it's great being here this morning. Um, probably some of you have no idea who I am, um, but I do have a name. Yes. And my name is Andy, Andy Glover. And um, this is my dear wife of 33 years, Gunilla. Gunilla Swedish, and I'm English. And we met, guess where? In YWAM. <laughs> so there is hope for you guys. <laughs> um, I actually um, came back to the Lord in 1984. At that time, all I wanted to do was go to the nations. And I was from a little town in the south coast of England. And... There was a number of opportunities that were available, and one of those opportunities was to go and join an organization and do a DTS, and that organization was called You for the Mission. And to this day, I'm so thankful I did that decision. I did my DTS in 1985. In those days, I had hair, and, um, but it was a life-changing experience, and from that time, I have not stopped going to the nations ministering um, extensively in West Africa, other parts of the world as well, lived in four different countries, lived in multiple homes, and God has provided every single step of the way, which yes. is absolutely incredible. And I was just thinking this morning when you guys were up there, I am so thankful for what YWAM put in us because they put in us a continual expectation that God was going to do something that he was going to look after us, he was going to do something, and he was going to use us. And we've, we've, that's stayed with us. That's been like a, a core value of what we believe. And that has stayed with us ever since. And this is 32 years on since that particular moment. We now run a ministry called Revival to the Nations. And that is our organization in which we you know, get to get some income. But at the same time, we're part of another ministry that has a huge DNA connected with YWAM called Father Heart Ministries. And a lot of the origins of Father Heart Ministries go back to a guy called Jack Winter. And Jack Winter was a very good friend of Lauren Cunningham. And it was Jack Winter, in fact, that gave Lauren Cunningham a million dollars back in the 1980s towards originally buying one of the buildings there in Kona on Hawaii. So our history is very much interwoven with Youth With A Mission, with YWAM. Some people call it Youth Without Any Money, but I don't believe that. 
Um, but I do believe it's young women after men. No, sorry, just joking. <laughs> and the funny thing is as well is that Mark and Jane, um, I've actually known Jane since 1986 because we first met when Jane came to do a DTS and I was a leader on that DTS in Scotland. So isn't that true? That's where we met and we've got mutual friends ever since that particular time in 1986. So it's, it's great to be here. You know, when you young people came in this morning, so that way I thought, these are the YWAMers. This is, <laughs> this is great. You know. So Ganilla and I felt completely at home. We felt this was normal and this is the way life is. And, you know, this is kind of a missions church. So if you want a place to come every Sunday and have fun like you've had fun today, it's probably going to be happening every Sunday. So that's, yeah. that, that's normal agenda, you know, normal protocol. And um, so it's really great to be with you. Um, let me do just a couple of quick promos before I get, get into the word and the teaching. Um, we have something called an A school coming up. An A school comes before the B school, okay? <laughs> but... <laughs> And we, it's a father, we, we call it um, the revelation of the Father's love. And we do a, a whole week school on, the, on this whole theme, the revelation of the Father's love. And a number of you guys here, how many of you guys went through the school in March? Okay. And it's a life-changing experience. And if you can get to get a week off, it's worth it. It's worth losing a bit of money to gain what you're going to gain on this school because it is a life-changing um, experience. And even at some point, perhaps YWAM would consider, you know, dropping that week and coming on the school. And, you know, we would work that out with you because it's a life-changing experience. Have you, any of you guys done an A school before? Have you heard of Father Heart Ministries? You have? Cool. One, fantastic. Well, this, these flyers between the 14th and 20th of November, they're actually on your table in front of you, not your desk, the table. Also, I want to make mention that I've written a couple of books. And these two books are really, um, you know, we've journaled our history with God. And the first book that I wrote was called Double Portion, Our Inheritance, entering into the Father's promise. And I talk a lot about my encounters with the Father. But in this book, I parallel um, the story of Elijah and Elisha, how the anointing was passed on to Elisha and what that symbolized and what that meant and how that is applicable to our lives today. That's double portion, um, our inheritance. I want to give that to YWAM. So someone on this table have to catch this. There you go. So this is for you guys to read. And this is our second book. Ganilla also has written a chapter in the second book. Um, it's called Finding Our Father, The Importance of Childlikeness. And that really is a huge value for us, you know, just to behave like kids. <laughs> so this is, and we, we talk about some really, really important um, topics. Let me just mention just a couple. I talk about becoming a child again, the orphan heart, foundation. Ganilla does a chapter on comfort. I do a chapter on approval, the importance of approval, and that is all good stuff in this book. So you guys 
I presume YWAM has some sort of library. So you guys put that book on that library as well, can you? Thank you. Right on there. So it goes on the library so you all can read it. But if you'd like to buy your own personal copy, I won't hinder you from doing that. Because all the proceeds go towards mission and what have you. Amen? Are you guys with me? I try to do that promo as fast as possible, and I just need to slow down a little bit right now. Okay? My wife's smiling at me. She's waiting for me just to slow down, take it out of fifth gear all the way down to first gear, and just slow it down a little bit. We've had a, a really... Um, I think we've had a deep weekend. I think that's the word. And if you guys can get hold of the message from Friday night and Saturday night, I did a double-barreled message on sonship. On Saturday night, I talked about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship. And last night, I talked about the heart of a son. And I would encourage you, if you can get hold of it, I don't know how they can, what, it's on the website, Catch the Fire, Myrtle Beach, it's there. I would encourage you just to take your time to listen to this, because these, I, what we preach and what we share has become a life-changing um, revelation to us. So we're not sharing anything that isn't, apparent or real or experienced in our own life. I'm not going to give you information. I want to share with you revelation that we've experienced and that, that, that has come to us. And that's what, I, that's what I plan to do today as well. Um, Gunilla and I have been in a very, very interesting season. And those of you that have been in YWAM for a long time can probably relate. But we feel like we've been in this perpetual state of transition where we're, 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 we're transitioning out of one situation, um, nation, circumstance to another. And we feel that has been really perpetual for the last, I don't know how many, 20, 30 years. It's been really ongoing. And at times that has been very trying. It's been very difficult. And it, it's brought up all sorts of issues of insecurity and fear in our own lives. And so this morning, I want to talk on what I would title the faithfulness of love. The faithfulness of love. And I want to start by reading in John's Gospel, John chapter 12 and verse 24. And this is a very well-known verse. Um, you most likely heard this. You most likely spent time studying it. You've most likely heard messages on it. But I believe there's something deeply symbolic and powerful that the Father wants to speak to us about this morning from this verse. So Jesus is talking to people and he's saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of seed falls into the wheat, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces 
much grain. Let's repeat that. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now I believe primarily when Jesus spoke this, he was relating what was going to happen to him. How it was going to happen, the fact that he was going to die and in his death there was going to be much fruit. But I believe here we also have a principle that's continually at work in our hearts and in our lives. This, this is an unavoidable, this is the unavoidable workings of God. This is the unavoidable workings of our Father. We cannot actually escape this. What is quite profound is that every single bit of soil that we see around us is an amalgamation, a collection of death. Okay? So here, something that has a potential to grow, a potential to develop, is put in, in is put and is surrounded by death. Buried literally into death. And death becomes the soil in which that seed of grain begins to germinate and begins to grow and begins to become fruitful. Okay? That is an unavoidable reality in our lives. That is an unavoidable circumstance that all of us go through in varying degrees and through various situations. So I felt, certainly in the last few months, like I have been dying. Not dying physically, you understand, but I feel through a number of circumstances and situations, I've literally felt like God has been putting things to death in my own life. Back in July, we traveled out to California where my eldest son lives because we were going to do his wedding, and we did his wedding. But a couple of days before I traveled out there, I put my back out. By the time I'd got to California on the Saturday, six days before the wedding, my back was in a terrible situation. By the time that evening came, I was in excruciating pain. My left nut leg had gone numb and I could not move. And the only thing that could happen was me getting taken to hospital and having some very, very strong painkillers so at least I could start to get some movement back into my body. And during that whole week, I literally felt like I was in the grave. I felt like God was 100 miles away, even though I knew he wasn't. What I was experiencing and feeling 
was that he was gone. He wasn't there. I felt like I was literally going through a tunnel. Also, in ministry, I had a vision a couple of years ago that, that God was asking me to bury certain things in ministry. And I had this vision of me standing literally on a graveyard, at a graveyard, looking over an empty grave. And as I looked over that empty grave, I could see these, these ministry things or situations actually being buried into the grave that had already been prepared. And I realized in that, something that the Father was saying to me was that I'm actually putting these to death right now. Denise Jordan, who is the co-founder of Father Heart Ministries, her and her husband James pioneered the ministry that we're a part of. She is a profound speaker and a profound writer. She says, don't waste a good death. Don't waste a good death. I remember when I went on my DTS, I felt like things were literally getting crucified on my DTS. And it was really quite painful and awkward. Don't waste a good death. Now, I'm not sure how much of church history you know, but back in the... the um, Second century, around 241 AD, a group of men emerged in Egypt and they were called the Desert Fathers. You've probably heard of the Desert Fathers. And they were really, you know, they were very, um, you know, you'd call them mystical. You'd, you know, they were people that just spent countless hours with God. And one of these particular desert fathers was called St. Anthony. St. Anthony had come from a very influential background. His parents were very wealthy. He grew up in Alexandria in Egypt. But when he had a revelation that Jesus was his savior and he got saved, he really in read in scripture that it's right for you to give away everything that you had. He literally did that and went to live in the desert. Not just for 40 days, but he went into the desert for years just to be alone with God and whoever wanted to follow him. From time to time, he would sense the Father leading him to go out into a community or a city, and to preach and minister within that community. And what I've read, the stories that I've read, when he went, incredible, miraculous signs happened. Incredible glory fell. Incredible moves of the Holy Spirit accompanied him. And afterwards, he would follow the Father back to his cave in the Egyptian mountains where he would live. There's actually one story of St. Anthony when the father had called him to go to a certain place 
and had to cross the river Nile and had no way of getting across. You know what he did? He climbed on the back of a crocodile and the crocodile took him over to the other side. Do you want to, do you want to walk with God? <laughs> For me, in this season, in this season I felt that I'm in and in this dying season for all of us, we wonder, where is the fruitfulness of God? Where is the fruit of God? Where is he? Is he there? Has he left me? Yet in this season, I've been very aware that certain areas in my life have really come to the surface. Areas of loneliness, areas to do with acceptance, and errors as well to do with fear. And all these issues are to do with areas in my own heart that I've struggled with. And all those three, they've been a continual struggle in, you know, for most of my life. Yet in a time of dying, in a time when God is really working in our heart, the, 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 the negative areas, if you like, are magnified. They're exacerbated. They become bigger. Big, and that's all you can see. You can feel them. You can feel the fear. You can feel the lack of acceptance. You can feel the loneliness. And I have felt those things. They become, they were very, very real to me. Now, that doesn't mean to say that I, you know, my salvation has leaked out or God's, gone for, God, God's actually gone for a walk somewhere. I absolutely believe that God is with me, he's living with me, and he's actually walking me through these things actually in my heart. But they have been a struggle. It has been a struggle. Number of months ago, I think it was probably perhaps a year ago, I was listening to another friend of mine who's also part of Father Heart Ministries, a guy called Richard Jones. You guys know Richard. And um, Richard leads A schools just like we lead A schools all around the world. He was in YWAM as well and spent a lot of time in Malaysia and worked in that um, s southern Asian area. And he was he was talking about death, the process of death for a believer. Not the physical dying, but how God deals in our hearts. And he related to us a, um, an article by a, a British lady called Elizabeth Kobler-Ross. I think obviously she's half German or something. And she talked, um, she talked about something called the rise and fall of the five stages of grief now i read this article and when i saw this article i'm just i'm you know my attention is caught straight away because i see it as god is working in our lives as the father's love is is coming to us that we go through 
these five stages as most people do as they're actually on their deathbed as well. Now, I want to relate these five areas to you. When God brings up issues in our life, the first thing we do often is there's a denial. Okay? Now, denial is not a river in Egypt, okay? Denial or denial, it's a bad joke. <laughs> My wife is rolling her eyes. <laughs> it's a sense in which, no, this cannot be me. It cannot be true. And I would often deflect things because of my sense of not wanting to own it, perhaps my sense of shame, not wanting to be thought less of. And so the, the idea of actually denying something is actually a really good idea. Because what we do in our denial, even when the Father starts to work in our heart and life, is that we want to sweep it under the table, don't we? And I, I've seen that in my life. I've seen that when the, when the Father's love has come and just, just blown me away with just the intensity of who He is and how gracious He is and how loving He is. And then all of a sudden some area comes up that I know on the one hand that He's wanted to deal with this area in my life. But then I, it's just not convenient right now, God, to, to deal with this. So I'm going to move into a, a denial mode. Do you know what denial, denial mode is? We just sweep it under the table. We ignore it. Because it's convenient not to be real, isn't it? It's convenient. Even, even when love comes, even when the Father's love comes, I honestly believe the truth is many of us are uncomfortable with love. I am uncomfortable with love. I have been uncomfortable with love. When we first got married 33 years ago, Ganilla said to me, she said, every morning, I would like a morning hug. That's just a hug. That's all it is, is a hug. And I said, well, in, in my house, we didn't do morning hugs. I come from England. She comes from Sweden. And she's very comfortable with love, very comfortable with love. I've seen that as our children have grown up, that they become comfortable with her love as well. And so Ganilla say, I just want you to hug me, just, just embrace me, just for 30 seconds, and that'll be great. And so I try to formulate a pattern of behavior to embrace this very good, sir. That's right, just keep that up for the next 30 years, okay? <laughs> Newlyweds, <laughs> I love it. And um, it, it was just uncomfortable to me because 
I can't actually remember growing up being embraced. Now, I don't deny that my mum and dad loved me, but their actual expression of love wasn't through an embrace. And so all of a sudden, my wife is saying, well, I want you to embrace me. It was like, I, you know, and, she put her arm, and I become really kind of uncomfortable and, you know, how do I do this, you know? And it's nothing about, there's nothing about sex. It's called non-sexual touch. There's nothing about sex. It's like just to embrace and show affection to that person, to my wife. She wanted to show affection and love to me. And I'm uncomfortable with it. Really, really uncomfortable with it. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to deal with it. It just makes me feel mm, on the inside. But the more that I've embraced the Father and His love and seen and experienced His love for me, that embrace with my wife has become something really natural. So at first, I'm in this place of denial because I don't want to show my wife that I'm uncomfortable with love. I'm in a place of denial about it. She could see that. She could feel it. She could sense it. But that was really the situation that was going on in my heart. The second area that Elizabeth Gobler-Ross states is the area of anger. And the area of anger is defined by a simple statement, why me? When the father starts to reveal his love and his love starts to break into our hearts, we, we look at everyone else around us and we think, goodness me, those why women are so happy. Jane's so happy. Mark is like, he's just, he's, why me? Why am I? You know, why are you dealing in my heart in this area, God? Why me? Look at all these guys. And that comes with a sense of frustration and that comes with a sense of anger. Like, ah! And the, you know, the perpetual cry comes from our lips. It is not fair. You know, when my kids tell me it's not fair, I say, you're right. Life is not fair. Okay? So everybody, all, for all of us, it's not fair. So that means we're all on a, a level playing field, so we can't complain about that. Let God do what he wants to do. And so there's this, why me? This, this anger is rising up in our hearts. And it's the frustration of it. Because as love starts to come, it is awkward. It is absolutely awkward. When I got to YWAM in January 1985, again, everybody is embracing everybody else. Hi, man, and da da da. And I was, I was brought up as a Baptist. Good morning. How are you? Really nice to see you. And that was it. That's as close as you got. 
You didn't get any closer than that because it was dangerous. You don't know what might happen. Then the third area, the third area is we start to bargain. Bargain. The bargaining in. The bargain in. <laughs> we start negotiating with God. Okay? I used to drive my dear wife up the wall almost every day in Africa. Because those of you that have been to Africa, especially the commercial centers of Africa, West Africa, we lived in Ghana, that you go down the road in the city, as soon as you come to a set of traffic lights, you have these people, they call them hawkers, and they're selling everything you can imagine. From, from um, basketballs to toilet rolls, you see them like with 500 toilet rolls on their head to, to, to ice water, to the newspaper, to all sorts of electrical appliances. Most of them didn't work. Hair curlers, obviously I didn't need one of those. And um, all this other stuff. And I would, I would often be sitting in the passenger seat and they would, as soon as they saw us come, they thought this is an opportunity for business. So, and we would often have the window wound up because we wanted to keep the air conditioning in. Well, I would want to talk with them. So I would let the window come down and then I would see what they have. And they would, they had this thing on their head and they would bring it down and they would show me this item, that item. And then as soon as you found something you liked, they could see it. They could see you looking at it. They knew they were really smart. And I, and I would say, how much? And they would say, a hundred, give me a hundred. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, so I say to them, what is your last price? They say, give me 70. All of a sudden it's dropped by 30%. Goodness me, the economy, chung, you know? And I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm not giving you 70. I said, give me price, give me price, give me price. And I'd say, I'll give you 30. He said, ah, 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 ah. And then this would go on. This would go on for 10 minutes sometimes. And I'm just... I'm kind of squeezing the guy, but I'm just seeing what, what, what is the real cost of this particular item. And sometimes I'd buy stuff that was absolutely worthless. You know, why am I doing this? You know, but I, I guess in me, you know, even when it comes to, you know, when we lived in Sweden and there was things that, you know, things that are set in gold, you, you don't negotiate about them at all, that that is the price. I would still ask, you know, can we can we adjust this price? Can we negotiate this price a little bit? I guess there's this frustrated negotiator on the inside of me that hasn't been completely dealt with, I guess. But it's part of that negotiating, part of that bargaining in, bargaining in, is our attempt to postpone death. And often we will do that in our relationship with God. We say, God, you know, I want to kind of postpone this. And we say, well, I can, I can be a really good Christian. We'll postpone this with good behavior. You know, God's not looking for good behavior. Did you know that? I'll say that over here. They didn't like. God is not looking for good behavior. God's heart is that you know him and that you walk with him. He's not looking for good behavior. Okay. 
Some of you are smiling. Yeah. <laughs> because I, you know, I, I was taught, I was brought up in a Christian home. I was taught when I go to church, especially, and I went to Sunday school, that I got to behave myself. Now, do you know what that does to a guy like me? That means, that means, there's, that's right, exactly. It's like, like, you're telling me there's a fence. And you're telling me I've got to stay within this fence. And I'm thinking, I wonder how far I can extend this fence. How far I can push it out. Okay? Because part of that, part of that is me wanting to postpone the inevitable. So I negotiate. And we do that with the Father working in our lives as well. We do that. Because the reality is, my friends, that when the Father starts to work and we start to die, that is often a painful process. And when we as believers die, we're either a sheep or a pig. The sheep die quietly, like a lamb's silence before it shearers. But pigs make noise, they squeal. Let me tell you, I'm a pig. I don't smell like a pig, but when that happens, you're going to hear it. Okay? Ginella dies like a lamb. She's very quiet. She's very gentle when she dies. She's very Swedish. Oh, there are a few screams occasionally, but most of the time it's, it's silence. We get through this stage, the bargaining stage, and the next stage is an area and a time of depression. Okay? I'm just being real, guys. This is an area of depression. And our depression is often us reacting to our situation and realizing that there is a sense of inevitability to it. In other words, God is going to do what he said he's going to do. The Father's process of love is working and there comes a place in our hearts when we, we, we start to I think accept what is actually going to happen. We are reacting to the situation. This is the point in the believer's life when we realize how powerless we actually are. How powerless we actually are. It, it absolutely shook me when my back went out in July. It absolutely shook the core of my being. Because all of a sudden, I'm on the floor, I cannot move, and I'm absolutely powerless. I can't even go to the restroom. I can't. I'm just powerless. 
And there comes a point in the dealings of God. There comes a point as the Father is working in our lives. When we start to realize that we're actually powerless in this situation. And then ultimately, God is going to produce and do what he said he's going to do and produce actually in our lives. Some of you are at that place right now. I felt I'd been at that place. I felt low. I felt deep working of God in my heart. And I felt low. And it's just my reaction to the situation that I actually find myself in. And it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's We're not sure what to do. Then the final stage, I believe a lot of us do actually get to this point. It's the area of acceptance. We get to the place of acceptance. Here is the cry of a man that accepted the journey before him. Listen to these words. These these are the words of a man who accepted the journey before him. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Though that was the cry of Jesus on the Thursday, the day before he was crucified. That is a prayer of acceptance. A prayer of surrender. A prayer of relinquishing. Father, I'm going to go through this. You're in this with me. And we're going to go through this together. I felt the Lord speak to me a couple of times during this season. And one of the things he said to me recently was this. If you allow me to walk you through this, it will be the most fruitful time in your life. If you allow me to walk you through this, it will be the most fruitful time in your life. You know, we relinquish often our fruitfulness because we don't like the dealings of God. We're uncomfortable with the dealings of God. I felt the Father say those words to me. If you allow me to walk you through this, it will be the most fruitful time in your life. One thing that I see um, 
One thing that I see prophetically is that I see the Father working in an in a a, a powerful and a very direct way in people's lives. I really believe this season that we're in worldwide as a church is that the Father is revealing again who he is to the church. And I believe in that revealing who he is to the church. Not only are our lives being um, coming into contact with who he is as a father, but as well, even our theology is getting changed from what we've believed. And we've had discussions about that this weekend. But this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He's sitting down with his disciples in John chapter 15. And listen to these two verses. He says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So we have there this partnership working again the vine dresser and the vine, Jesus the Father. I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Okay? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So imagine looking at a tree or a vine and looking at that tree and seeing dead twigs. Dead twigs are worthless. Why? Because they are dead. What does the vine dresser do? What does the gardener do? The gardener takes the shears and cuts the dead twigs off. Now, I am really okay with that. I am actually comfortable with that process. But the other process that I've not been too happy with is even the twigs that are fruitful, these he prunes. Okay? I thought you were meant to eat prunes, but just like missionaries, they go into dark places and do good. But that's not the prunes that we're talking about here, is it? We're talking about pruning. The process of pruning. So even after these vines have produced an abundance of beautiful red and white grapes that have been turned into wine, the vine dresser comes along and cuts those vines back. Wow. I don't like that. I really don't like that. Because even if I've got, imagine me being a tree, even if I've got one apple, I'm thinking to myself, I've produced fruit. I am fruitful. I have an apple. <laughs> and God says, hey, it's great. You've got an apple, but, you know, 
you're meant to have thousands of apples. So I'm just going to cut this twig, the twig that has produced the apple. I'm just going to cut it right at the root, you know, right next to the, the, the tree, the stem, the branch, yeah, trunk. And I'm going to cut it, and I go, ah, that's it. I've lost my fruitfulness. I felt that. I've really felt that in my life. I've lost my fruitfulness. God has pruned me back so much. There's no chance of fruit ever again. Anybody felt like that? Anybody can concur. And it's like it's just taken all the way back. But Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is the process and the workings of God. The workings of God. I complimented RJ the other day because I got here on Friday night and I saw that on this, the, the board outside he'd written 1 John 3 verse 1. Okay. One of the great questions that we're discovering the answer to in our Christian life is how we change. Do we change primarily by dis discipline or obedience? Or do we actually change by continual encounter and starting to get to know the one that loves us? And let me tell you, in my walk with God, I've moved away from the discipline, obedience area. Not that it doesn't look like that in my life. And I've moved right to this other side where I've and wanted to embrace love and embrace encounter. This is what 1 John says, chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be like. But when we know, sorry, let me go back to verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when he is revealed, we will be like him. That is the promise. When we see him, when he is revealed, we will be like him. In this process of dying, in this process of the seed grow, going into the ground and being surrounded by death, when that seed sees him, we shall be like him. 
I believe that happens when we die. And a lot of people really worried about the judgment seat of Christ and about all the things that the Father's going to bring up and all, you know, all this, you know, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? When we see him, we will be thoroughly overwhelmed by an intensity of love that none of us have never seen or encountered before. We will be confronted with and changed by an intensity of love that comes from the very person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is not only true, I believe, for the day when we get to meet him, I believe that is also true today. Because what is true today is that in our desperation, in our difficulty, in our death, that when we see him, when we encounter him, there is a transition and a change that actually takes place actually in our hearts. He changes us. Whether, whether we're on that, any one of those, you know, we're in denial, anger, bargaining, depression, or acceptance. When we see him, a change takes place. And only love can do that. The only thing that can change us from the inside out is the love of God. We are motivated to change by love, not by obedience. Obedience brings fear, but love transforms us and changes us. Do you agree with that, Camilla? Get the, get the recording. Love transforms us and love changes us. Obedience actually brings fear. Not saying that we're not disciplined. We're the discipline in our life, but the discipline that has been produced in our life has been produced in the context of a love relationship with God, in a love relationship with the Father. Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. What we see is a life of obedience on the outside, but what is happening on the inside is a life that is abiding in love. What we're seeing on the outside is a walk of obedience, but what's actually happening on the inside is a heart that is abiding and living in love. And that love is changing the individual and causing that individual to be everything that individual was meant and destined to become. I can't become the person I was meant to become unless I encounter love, unless love transforms me, unless love takes hold of me. Because when love takes hold of my heart, there is a chance that I will become everything that God created me to be. We're coming to the end. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Galatians 5 and verse 22. Here we have, we get to this place where we see 
the fruitfulness of love through the process in our own lives of God bringing love and bringing his revelation to us. Paul says in the New King James, that's different to the Old King James, you know, because you can read this one. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit. That word fruit is singular, not plural. That is a singular. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I've been reading the Passion Translation. Okay, The great thing about the Passion Translation is there is lots of passion. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. This is the passion. Where are you from? Yeah. What? No, but you, you lived in America, haven't you? On the West Coast? Midwest. Okay, but where are you from originally? South Korea. Okay. I'm just, I was just really intrigued by that, so I thought I'd just ask you. But the food of the... This is, this is now the passion. You'll get to feel the passion in this. But the fruit produced, this is the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit. This is not the fruit produced by Andy Glover or Ganilla Glover. This is the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Wow. This is divine love in all its Varied expressions. Yippee! Singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. Gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. That is the fruitfulness of love. And that fruitfulness of love comes out of our hearts and out of our lives when we're willing to say, okay, God, I am willing to die. I want the fullness of your love. Willing to go through that process of denial and being angry and and our depression and in negotiating and our acceptance in that place when we surrender, the seed goes into the ground and dies. What starts to be produced in us is the fruitfulness of love. I'll read it again because it's just so good. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its various forms, expressions, joy that overflows peace that subdures, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless.
You can't do it. That's why he lets you die. Because he wants to do it. He wants to produce it. We can't do it. But but we do get to do it with him. As we cooperate with his process of love on the inside. Just put a hand on your heart. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the processes of love, the dealings of God. Thank you, Father, you're causing the seed to drop into the ground and to die. And I thank you, Father, that you are in that process 100% committed to the fruitfulness of our lives to the abundant fruitfulness that it's going to be produced. So, Father, do this. Do this in our lives all around this room in various ways at various times and produce that in Jesus' name. Let your grace come, Father, to do that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for fruit. You know, the only thing that speeds up the process of what dies becoming soil to grow in is if you throw poop on it. You could put that in. Yeah, that's a free one. You can keep that one. The reason I said that was not to make you laugh, but because if you feel like someone in your life has recently pooped on you, I believe God wants you to know he's right there to turn it to more fruitfulness. So we're going to take a moment and forgive. And this isn't applying to you, so if you want to sit down, you can do that. I don't think you haven't pooped on me at all. But I, I just felt that as Andy wrapped it up there. Some of us feel like someone in my life pooped on me. forgive them and I give you permission to bring more fruit in me. Isn't it fantastic how God takes the dying and the poop and turns it into nutrition for his fruitfulness. And that's what he's been doing. Andy, thank you so much. Welcome to just sit in that fruitfulness for a moment. You're also welcome to bless somebody else if God puts that on your heart. Please just do it gently so that those who are sitting can receive from God. And you're welcome to slip away whenever you're ready. And thank you for the reminder, but we're going to skip that. (laughs) So you're free to be fruitful.